It's so good to see all of you here this morning. Um, and as I look across the room, I'm grateful that we have our combined uh, congregation here, morning and evening. Um, and I know that with New Year's and new starts, there are often uh, fresh energies across the room. Um, but I'm also conscious that as I look across the room, there are many here who gather, and, and you're here, and it wasn't easy coming here today. Uh, it wasn't easy coming because you carry, I don't know how you see God, um, as was so helpfully prayed before, maybe some of you feel angry with God and you are coming today and you're wanting God to prove something to you. Uh, maybe you come today with a deep sense of worry and anxiety. Uh, you come with a deep sense of guilt, perhaps. All I'm saying is not everyone in this room feels the same way. Uh, but I hope and pray that John three sixteen to 21 today speaks to you in a powerful way. And I'm asking that the Lord right now would turn my human words to divine words as it is preached that it would move you and comfort you and challenge you. So why don't we come to the Lord in prayer right now as we seek God's help. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here today. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that you're a God of second chances again and again and again. And so our Lord and God, today we come before you wanting to humble ourselves, to sit under your word and to receive from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do only what you can do, and that is to shake and move and transform hearts to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we come to week two of our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. If you weren't here last Sunday, then you probably missed Pastor Eugene taking us through the first sermon of our series where he highlighted a number of very important things. If you were here last week, you remember that he first reminded us that the Apostles' Creed is not the Bible. That's very important to underline. The Apostles' Creed is not the divinely inspired Word of God, and so we do not treat the Apostles' Creed as such. Nevertheless, you hear us repeat again and again that the Apostles' Creed is a helpful summary of the teachings of the Bible. And so as a church, we're going to work our way through the Creed, but we're going to do so with a keen eye to our Bibles open. So I always want you to have your Bibles open in front of you to test what we recite with what is written in God's Word. That's we reminded of the first thing. Second of all, we're reminded that creed and confessions is not cold doctrine. I think that's very important to recognize. We sit in a cold room, but the creed is not a cold doctrine. Instead, sound doctrine, sound theology is always meant to fire up our hearts and our minds to better love and serve Jesus. That's why you realize that singing is such a crucial part of the Christian experience, not only because we are called and instructed to sing, but music has an incredible ability to mix powerful tunes and words to fire up the heart with a deep sense of joy and gladness or grief or, or pain as an expression of our worship to God, don't you see? When we do our catechisms, when we do our creeds, when we do our sermons, you, you are not in a classroom, you are in a throne room. You are hearing the word of God in order to worship our Lord and God. So creed is not cold, it's, it's not primarily an intellectual exercise. I'm not here to teach you, I'm here to preach. Teaching is just to inform your mind, preaching is to inflame your heart. And that's why we're working through the creed today. 
Thirdly, we're challenged by um, the beauty of what it means to have God as our Father. That was the main theme of last Sunday. That God the Father loves His children. It means that you and I in Christ are loved and cared for. It also means that we are brought under God's rule and reign. If you missed out on it, I want to encourage you to jump online to follow up on last Sunday's sermon. But we come to our second installment of our series right now, and we come to these words. You're familiar with them. We recite them every fortnight. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And there is so much jam-packed into these seven words. Lots of Bible passages speak about this truth. But for our purposes, in order to not get too confused, I'm going to drill down on John 3, chapter 16, verse 21. It was read out to us. And I suspect you know this passage super well. But I want to invite you to keep your pens and your outlines or your laptops or your iPads ready because we're going to explore a few ideas and themes that I suspect we miss, that we often miss because it is hidden in plain sight. We're going to work our way through our passage and this line of the creed. We're going to have three headings as we do that. Firstly, we're going to look at how the reality that Jesus Christ is God's Son reveals who we are. It reveals who we are. It challenges whose we are. It challenges whose we are. And it shows us how this message is for anyone, whoever we are. Reveals who we are. Challenges whose we are. Is available for anyone, whoever we are. What does that mean? Well, come to point one with me. Because John three sixteen to 17 begins by telling us three very significant things. If you have your own Bibles, you can underline this with me. And we, under, we identify these three important things by the verbs or the action words in these verses. This is the center of attention of our passage. Here are the three things. You ready? Firstly, it tells us that God loves, right? God so loved the world. That's the first action. Secondly, it tells us that God gave, that he gave his one and only son. And then thirdly, in verse uh, 16, God saves. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And these three actions tell us a lot about God's character. It speaks firstly of his nature. Uh, The rest of the verse speaks of God as judge who will condemn the world for sin and unrighteousness. There is no hiding it, right? But this verse also tells us, and we know from the rest of Scripture, that God has a general love for His world and creation and a specific love for His children. I'll say that again. God has a general love for His world and creation and a specific love for His children. Love is who God is. The three actions speak of God's generosity. God gave. This is grace. He gives us His Son as a gift. We're going to talk about this more in just a moment. But it also speaks of God's mission. It is to save. We see here that salvation is God's mission and it is an expression of God's love and God's gift of grace. It tells us who God is. Three words. You probably didn't even realize it. But I want you to notice something. These three actions also tell us something very important about who we are. It tells us something very important about who we are. You see, your answer to the question, who am I, 
who am I, radically shapes the way you see the world and it shapes the way how you live in the world. It forms the way you relate to others. In fact, whether you wake up each morning with purpose hinges on your ability to answer that question, who am I? Now you see, we live in a world that tells you that anything is possible. They say, no one has to answer that for you. You are who you say you are. You have the ability and the human right to answer that question on your own. In many ways, absolutely true. But you see, as empowering as this cultural message is, I hope you realize how quickly that this whole you do you and you be who you are mantra becomes crippling and crushing. It becomes crippling and crushing. It is crippling because according to our culture's narrative, people are given this weight of responsibility to answer one of life's most fundamental questions. But the problem is we don't always have the resources to do so. We don't always have the resources to do so. I speak with a lot of people, young and old, who often ask me, Pastor, what is my purpose? They'll tell me, I do not know what to do with my life. And those are the honest people. Most people have these questions, but they never ask them. Or they'll wonder, am I doing what God is calling me to do? Friends, these are not expressions of depression, at least not always. They are expressions of frustration. Frustrated, they keep coming back blank with the question, who am I? They've been told that they can define themselves but they can't. They're not able to. And sometimes we just fail to admit that. Oh, we're afraid of admitting that, right? Yeah, Elliot is talking. (laughs) Am I too weak for not even knowing who I am? Am I too sad and pathetic to not even be able to answer such a fundamental question? It's so basic. And if I can't even answer this question, then what am I even good for? It's crippling, don't you see? Who am I? But it's also crushing. It's crushing because so many people can work themselves to the bone to try to answer this question only to find out that they're building their house on sand. You can spend your entire life establishing careers, starting families, enjoying recreation. All of these things seem to cohere with your answer to the question, who am I? But all you need is life to throw a curveball. The loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of health. These things threaten their very sense of joy and fulfillment, causing them to realize that their answer to the question, who am I? is not as rich or as robust as they would like it to be. Because friends, isn't it true that sometimes we can't even live up to our own expectations? Who am I really? Let me ask you the question, who am I? You have a name. My name is Elliot, as Emmett hopefully reminds me all the time. You have a vocation. I am a pastor. You have responsibilities. I am a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend. But friends, are these definitions or are they identifiers? Do they explain who you are or do they identify who you are? What does the Bible say? Even if you do not accept the Bible as authoritative, why don't we just suspend our prejudices for just a moment and just hear what it has to say? You don't have to agree with it. Let's just hear what it has to say, right? 
So even if you disagree with the Bible, at least you know why. Okay? Based on these three action words in John 3, 16 to 17, we are told that we are broken sinners deserving of judgment. We are broken sinners deserving of judgment. Now that's a bit heavy, especially this early in the year. Not quite why you came to church, right? But bear with me for just a moment. Because whether we like it or not, the fact that Jesus is God's only Son, our Lord, actually shows, actually reveals the true spiritual condition of your heart and my heart. And this is good for us, right? Because it's like being in a doctor's office and you are told that you have a terminal condition. And you see, just because you deny it doesn't make it go away. In fact, it is by listening and accepting that we're able to say, okay, doctor, what are we going to do about it? What's our plan of attack? Because friends, there is good news for this condition. But before we go, I want us to just soak in this bad news for a few extra moments because knowing this, knowing that we are broken sinners deserving of judgment is actually very helpful in diagnosing a lot of our worries and our anxieties and our troubles in this world. In other words, listen very closely. Sin explains a lot about the world we live in. Sin explains a lot about the world we live in. But first things first, right? How does this passage show us that we are broken sinners? I've made a bit of a jump, haven't I? Well, let me show you. Firstly, we know this to be the case because verse 16 says, God loved the world. And by the world, John here is not referring to a physical location. It's not just planet Earth. More specifically, if you read through the Gospel of John, you realize that he uses the word world very consistently all throughout as a shorthand for sinful humanity. That's what he refers to the world too, sinful humanity. It's not to a place, but to a people. Those who have broken God's law and betrayed God's love. The world. Second of all, we know this because verse 17 tells us God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This tells us that the proper consequence of sin is condemnation. Another word for this is judgment. This is harsh, but it's actually very appropriate. God created us to be in relationship with him. We turn our backs against him. Taking good things from him and rejecting him as the giver of these good things. And so God, being absolutely moral, just, and righteous, has to, listen very carefully, God has to punish injustice and wickedness. It is not in God's character to gloss over sin. I mean, here's the thing. If we as imperfect human beings burn with anger in the face of injustice, how could a perfect God possibly say, our oh, sin, that doesn't matter to me. It's okay. If we ourselves cannot let go of injustice, how much more the perfect and holy God? So you and I, as sinners who by default reject God, are deserving, verse 17 says, of condemnation and judgment. This is why the end of verse 17 tells us God sent Jesus to save the world through him. The fact that we need saving tells us that there is something wrong with our spiritual condition. Now listen very closely. You remember before I said how this is important in explaining the world that we live in right now. And firstly, it helps us to see why 
our world is as broken as it is. It helps us to see why our world is as shattered as it is. Friends, we look at our world, we look at its conflicts, we look at its wickedness. In fact, we look at our own experiences. And we will be shocked at all of these things if we believe that humans are fundamentally created as good. If we believe that humans are good or even morally neutral, we will look at this world and go, how could this possibly be? Oh my goodness. Humans are so good. How do we descend into this darkness? How could people commit such atrocities? Oh, we're shooketh, shocked. But, but don't you see, if we examine our broken world through the Bible's lenses, we will be shocked but not surprised. We will be shocked that human sin has such destructive expressions, and you know it and I know it. But we will not be surprised because we know that our hearts are twisted. That you and I would do almost anything, anything to have things our own way. And sometimes we do say and think things that even surprise ourselves. What we do say and think under stress, under pressure, under weakness is not an exception to the rule. What we say and do and think under these circumstances is an expression of what's deep within us. Most of the time, we hide it very, very well. But there are pressure points in our life where it just, we just let it out and go, oh no, that's not usually me. No, no, that's exactly who you are. You know that and I know that. But you see, we don't have to be surprised. The Bible is unflinchingly honest about its diagnosis of the human condition. It tells us that we are by default sinners. We do not have to spend our entire lives denying that or trying to make up for it. The Bible explains it. And you see, secondly, it helps us to see why so many people live their entire lives carrying profound guilt and shame. It helps us to see why so many people will live their entire lives carrying profound guilt and shame. Guilt and shame are powerful emotions that have an ability to control us in ways that we cannot fathom. You sometimes don't even realize that you are driven by your guilt and shame. They are emotions that, that control us sometimes because of things we have done or sometimes because of things done to us. And these are tragedies. It is tragic when someone violates our sense of self-dignity, a violation against us that causes us to carry guilt and shame, not because of what we've done, but because of something done to us. Guilt and shame. But sometimes guilt and shame because of things we have done. Perhaps we have hurt someone. Perhaps we've hurt ourselves. Perhaps we've acted in a way that falls short, not even of God's standards, but of our own standards. And we think if we can't live up to ourselves, how can we live up to God? And we carry guilt and shame like backpacks around us and it weighs us down. Here's the reality. Guilt and shame are feelings we face because of sin whether our sin or the sin of others. You notice this, right? All the way in the Garden of Eden, we realize that immediately after Adam and sin, the first emotion that they felt was shame. This explains so much, doesn't it? 
And to amplify that, we have a generation that does not know what to do with these emotions. In my generation, so that sounds so old, but I'm not that old, right? But in my generation, right, we've been told to listen to Linkin Park, Evanescence, and press those emotions as deep as you can to not look at them, to not feel them, and to pretend they don't exist. And we come out looking like we're hardened and we're tough, but we're fragile inside. We have a new generation that's listening to Taylor Swift and all the kind of stuff, and they're saying, your shame defines you. Don't press it down, but it's who you are. Don't you see, neither of these responses are true and accurate. Both are allowing guilt and shame to define you. One is saying, that's not who I am, so press it down. This is saying, that is who I am, so let's embrace it. But we haven't dealt with the problem. Don't you see? We carry with us every way we go. So, therapy is helpful. Absolutely. If you need to see a psychologist or a counselor, speak to me. I have a list of people that I can recommend you to. But you see, no amount of therapy will rid us of deep guilt and shame. Because what we ultimately need to do is not just, and I say not just, not just work through trauma, not just work through forgiveness, not just through work through reconciliation. More importantly, we need to come before God and have our sins dealt with. Don't you see, guilt and shame are not emotions to avoid. That's not healthy spirituality. They are emotions to embrace, to draw us to God. Don't you see? And so thirdly, this is significant. All of this tells us that there is actually hope. The Bible paints a beautiful redemptive picture telling us that that which is broken can be redeemed. That which is spoiled can be healed, can be restored. There is nothing too spoiled that God would not restore. Nothing too marred and scarred that God cannot make new again. We do not need to live under the dark shadow of sin, which is why after raising the question of who we are, John 3, 18 to 21, implicitly raises a corresponding question. It's a challenge, really. It's asking whose we are. Because according to John chapter 3, the question of whose we are or who we belong to helps us to answer the question of who am I? Come to point two. And read verse 18 with me. It says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I'm not sure if you realize this, right? But this verse tells us that there is a line that is drawn in the sand. And on one side stands those who believe in Jesus and depend on him for life. And on the other side, it is those who do not believe and dwell in the darkness. The contrast between the two cannot be greater. I'll show you. Verse 19 to 20 uses the metaphor of darkness and light. It is literally black or white, day and night. Just as water and water. Oil cannot mix. There is no in-between between darkness and light. So those who stand against Christ remain in the darkness and are condemned. But those who by faith stand with Christ are brought into the light and are saved. But friends, do you notice something in our passage? Zoom in with me. Verse 19 tells us 
that many who are living in the darkness love the darkness. Wait, what? Yes. This may be surprising to us, but the Bible tells us that those stuck in the darkness love the darkness, either because they don't know better that they're in the dark, or because they love the darkness, because it's in the darkness where they get to continue running from and hiding from God. Let me spell it in more detail. Many living in the darkness do not know better. They live in a broken world, and they think this is just as good as it gets. I guess I just have to make do, right? I mean, what else could there possibly be? They experience profound grief and sorrow and wonder if there is something better, but they're in the darkness and they just do not know. Or they carry profound guilt and shame, not knowing if there is a better way. So those who may be powerful or resourceful enough may try to take things into their own hands to manipulate situations to get whatever moments of pleasure that they can get. But those who are not powerful and not resourceful just take it. You see, friends, many living in the darkness do not know that they are living in the darkness. But our passage also tells us there are some living in the darkness, and you know what? They love it. Because it is there where they get to continue asserting their own autonomy and authority, where they get to be their own bosses, where they don't need someone to tell them what to do. In fact, they feel like they're in a position to tell God what to do and what He should be like. Yet, those living in darkness, if they have moments of honesty, they will tell you that none of this is truly satisfying or life-giving. All you need to do is pierce through the veneer and you will see how fragile all of this is. Which is why they need the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is through the light of Christ that we firstly realize that we were in the dark all this while. It's like living in a dark tunnel, not understanding the concept of darkness. And the first moment light pierces through, everyone goes, what is this? What conditions have I been living under? But you see, it's also through the light of Christ that we begin to realize all that is around us. We see the world for what it is. We are given a different perspective. You see, without Christ, you and I are blind even to our own true spiritual condition. We are blind to the fact that we are broken sinners. And our blindness is expressed either in not knowing or knowing but rejecting. Uh, You know, sometimes you call someone blind not because they have no vision, but because what is so obvious to everyone around them is apparently unseen to them. Like, how are you so blind? That's what sin does to us. Sin causes us to not see who we truly are. That's what living in darkness does. Sin and darkness dulls our senses. It sucks the life out of us. And this is part of God's judgment for living in the darkness to allow senseless despair and disappointment to go around, around in circles. Friends, humans by default are blind to our true human condition, our true spiritual condition, because we belong in the darkness. But friends, the good news today is found in verse 18. 
Look at verse 18. It says, light has come into the world and that light is Jesus Christ. Everything changes here. And so, church, when we recite the creed and when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, we are making two very significant declarations. Firstly, we are confessing that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to show us our true spiritual condition, who has come to seek and save the lost. In that confession, we are saying that without Jesus, we continue in darkness. We are saying that without Jesus, we will continue to be lost, confused, and condemned for judgment. But in that confession, we are also saying that Jesus has come because of the overwhelming weight of our sin, and he has come to pay for that on our behalf on the cross in exchange for forgiveness, in exchange for new life. So that the guilt and shame we carry each day can be thrusted upon Christ who gives us freedom and hope so that we can be brought into the light. In this, we are confessing that we need to express personal faith, repentance and dependence upon Christ for redemption and faith. This does not come to all automatically. We need to respond. As a side, we are also affirming that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Friends, when you recite the Apostles' Creed, this is a powerful and profound spiritual declaration. But the second thing we are confessing in this creed is that Jesus is Lord. In that confession... We are saying that we belong to God and Jesus Christ and He rules and reigns over our lives. He shows us how to live. He instructs us on the path of life. That's what verses 19 to 21 speak about, right? It tells us that those who belong in the darkness run from the light. Why? Because they love the darkness. But those who belong to Christ are brought into the light and are called to live in the light. My friends, I'm not sure you realize how significant this is. Listen very closely. Because it tells us that our blind and restless wanderings can come to an end. It tells us that we can go beyond existing and actually start living. It tells us that we no longer have to live in the darkness. It means that we can begin to truly discover what it means to be human again. It is by living under Christ and His purposes, that we can walk in newness of life on the path that Christ has laid for us. Without Christ, none of this is possible. And friends, I hope you see this right. I'm not sure what kind of people you interact with, but I I frequently interact with people who who are stuck in sin and who are stuck in darkness. And they tell me, Elliot, I can't control it. I can't help what I'm doing. Is that addiction? That, that's absolutely, that's, clinically, psychologically, that's, that's connected to addiction, right? But spiritually, it's the binding effects of sin. Sin has this profound ability to enslave. The, the, the language of Scripture is that you know what you should do, you know what you want to do, but you have no power to do it. And at that point, it's not even a question of willpower. It's not even a question of discipline. It's a question of regeneration. 
Has God by his spirit empowered you to live in a way that is congruent with the light? And so many who are stuck in darkness and they do not want to turn to Christ, but they want to change, they want redemption, they want new life, and they can't have it. And if you're ever in that position where you see that played out, your heart breaks at that. Because they're constantly hurting themselves and destroying their own lives and running from Christ. And you just think, I want to help you, but I can't. That's what sin does. And maybe that's your experience prior to trusting in Jesus. As you look back on your life and you go, what was I doing? I I can't even remember why I made those decisions. That's what sin does to you. It controls you. But when you trust in Christ the light, you are freed from the shackling powers of sin and shame. And you are given this new life. Don't you see? The fact that you can obey the laws and the words of God in Jesus Christ in Scripture must not be taken for granted. The fact that you delight in the law of the Lord, that you read this and you go, this is life to me, is not natural. It's supernatural. Only God could have done that. Without Christ, none of this is possible. We must not be surprised that a dark and sinful world live in a dark and sinful way. They have no power to control it. They're living in the darkness. But see, when entrusting Christ, this is different, isn't it? Christ has come. So you you see, the confession, Jesus is Lord, is not just a spiritual confession. It is a political declaration. It's a political declaration. It is saying, my allegiance is with God. He rules my life and I humbly submit to that because God knows the path of flourishing. The confession, Jesus is Lord, are three words that continue to grow in depth and meaning for Christians every single year. Yeah, Because each year we continue to wrestle with idols that seek to assert its lordship over our lives. Each year we count the costs again and again of what it means to follow Jesus. And when we do, we are effectively asking ourselves the question, is Jesus my Lord? Do I believe that he is right over my life? Do I believe he has the best plan for me? Friends, I hope you realize that God is not interested in beating us into submission. He's not a grappler. He doesn't doesn't do that. God compels us by His love. This is why the notion of Jesus being our Savior and our Lord go together. In His great love, He reaches out to us. and We respond in faith. There is no coercion. He moves us with love. That is the most powerful thing, is it not? Love. But there's a constant question, how we will respond to this love. How will we respond? Will we walk in the light that God has prepared for us? Will we run to Him? Or will we continue in darkness? These words in the creed make it clear, I belong to God by His grace in Jesus Christ. It makes it clear, I am His because God has made me His. So, friends, who am I? According to the Bible, we are by default broken sinners. What's more, we live in darkness and have little to no awareness of our true spiritual condition, but there is hope. Because whose we are changes everything. If we continue in darkness, we drink a double portion of judgment. 
Firstly, to continue wandering in the darkness, but secondly, when we come face to face with God. But if we belong to Christ the light, then church, our futures are incredibly bright. Our futures are incredibly bright because you see, whose we are changes who we are. If we are in Christ, we are no longer broken sinners. We are children of God. We are free from the blinding effects of darkness. We can walk in the light. And the good news, friends, this is for you, whoever you are. Yes, anyone. Come to point three, because this is what verse 16 says. Underline this with me. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Underline that word, whoever. Tattoo it on your wrist if you need to, right? Because more often than not, we forget. In our guilt and shame, we think whoever that way, not this way. Maybe because sometimes we feel just so radically unworthy because of the things that we have said and done, the way we've betrayed God and turned our backs to Him again and again and again. And so we, we understand the concept of whoever, here but not here. Regardless of your race, history, background, your record or your wrong, whoever. But, but today, I think there are three groups of people that are worth challenging in light of this message. And I want to zoom in and focus on those who are running away from God, on those who are running towards God, and those who are running faithfully with God. Friends, I suspect that there may be some sitting here today who are running away from God. You have no idea why you're here because you don't even believe in what I'm saying or what the Bible says. But don't you see, you're here for a reason. I want you to know that you're sitting here and listening because God loves you. He loves you so much that the events of history have been orchestrated in such a way that you find yourself where you are right now, listening to this message within the reach of my voice. And maybe this is the neon sign that you are looking for. Running away from God will only plunge you deeper into the darkness and you know that full well. You know that it will not give you the satisfaction and fulfillment you are after. You know it will not make you happy. You know it will make you feel more confused than you are right now. If that's you and you are listening to that today, do not punish yourself by inflicting more pain upon yourself. My dear friend, God loves you and sent His Son Jesus as your Savior to be hurt in your place so that you wouldn't need to be hurt to experience grief and pain so that yours can come to an end, to die so that you can have life. He loves, He gave, He saves so that you can have eternal life by trusting in Him. Do not run away from God today. Come to God. There is no reason to wait. You do not have to be ashamed. You can do this again. God is not tired of you. If you trust in Jesus, God is not angry at you. God wants to give you new life. He wants to give you rest. Your future is incredibly bright in Christ. But you see, I also know that there are some who are running towards God. 
And by that I mean you, you've been here for a while, or maybe you've been soaking in the Christian message for a while, you've heard it many times, you recognize it as cognitively true, but you haven't confessed in your heart that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Like, like You're the kind of people where I sit down and I ask you, right, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you give me like a straight A, 99.958 answer, right? Like you just know it, right? But you know it conceptually. You know forgiveness, but you don't know you're forgiven. You know grace, but you don't know it's grace to you. You know mercy, but you've never experienced it. You know sin, but you don't know you're a sinner. Maybe you know the lordship of Christ as a concept, but you've never submitted to Christ as king, even if you've gone to church for 10, 20 years. Can I encourage you to stop running towards God and just run to God? To come before Him today and say, God, I have run out of excuses. I know my true spiritual condition. I don't want to live in the dark anymore. I want to know the life and the light that is found in you. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Friend, do not keep him at a distance any longer. You you see, there is line drawn in the sand, isn't there? It's light or darkness. Close enough is not good enough. You hear that? Close enough is not good enough. You are in the light or you are in the darkness. Stop running towards run to Run to God who welcomes you, who invites you to draw near to Him today. Your future is incredibly bright in Christ. And so a word to those then who are running faithfully with the Lord. The ones who are running faithfully. You know, the same truth that moved your heart to faith in Christ should continue to warm your heart in faithfulness. The same truth that moved your heart to faith in Christ should continue to warm your heart towards faithfulness. So, church, and I believe I'll be speaking to the most of you in this room, continue to run faithfully with Jesus as your Lord this year. And I say that right now because I know and you know that this year may continue to throw many circumstances and challenges that will threaten your faith in the Lord. Like right now you say, I, I, I trust Jesus and my faith is strong, but all you need is a curveball to really ask some really hard questions about your faith. It's times like these when we realize how fragile our faiths can be. It's true, isn't it? That if God didn't hold on to us, we would have let go long ago. If God didn't hold on to us, we would have let go a long time ago. That's why I'm a Calvinist, right? But keep persevering. Keep running faithfully because God by His grace has enabled you to. Because God leads you to life and flourishing because of God's purposes for you. Friends, running faithfully can sometimes feel like a sacrifice. I do not deny that. But it is nothing compared to the reward that God promises to us in Scripture. A future that is incredibly bright, eternal life. Let me encourage you to run faithfully in a few ways by way of finishing up. Firstly, run faithfully by saturating yourselves in the promises of God in Scripture. By saturating yourselves in the promises of God in Scripture. Join us as we study the Psalms together this year. That might help. Pay attention to the truths and the cries contained therein and make them your own by faith. Trust me, you will learn new things about God and what it means to follow God 
when you read it in detail. Saturate yourselves so deeply in God's word that God's voice becomes part of your conscience, that God's wisdom becomes part of your intuition, that God's way guides your will. How can we know the will of God unless we know the word of God? So saturate yourself deeply this year. Second of all, we also run faithfully by saying no to darkness. By saying no to darkness, by rejecting the lies of Satan and our culture. By turning our faces away from sin and temptation that promises so much, but constantly under-delivers. By following that which Christ says, not just because He says it, not only as a deep expression of gratitude for His grace, but it's all because in our heart of hearts we know it leads to life. To constantly preach to ourselves that the appeal of darkness is nothing compared to the assurance we have in Christ. That the appeal of darkness is nothing compared to the assurance we have in the light of Christ. So say no to darkness. Practice that. Exercise that. Encourage one another in that. Lastly, we run faithfully by struggling in a dark world with the light of Christ. Struggling in a dark world with the light of Christ. By struggle, I mean fight against, to combat. That's the language of Scripture, to kill sin, to fight sin, right? But, but you see, many of us on a weekly basis are surrounded by darkness. Dark schemes, dark systems, it might be in your workplace, it might be in your homes, there was just darkness. Corruption, hatred, lies, manipulation, just, just pure darkness. And it can feel so suffocating, can't it? And you see, if you're like me, right, you, you will tend to go, you know what, this is too hard, I am yeeting out of there, right? Like I'm just not having any of it, right? But when you see, our passage tells us that the Lordship of Christ extends out to every square inch. The confession states that much. Christ is Lord over all. And so as children of the light, we are sent as agents of the light to bring God's light into a dark world. And friends, light is seen in so many ways. Are you ready to take a few notes? It is seen in a word of encouragement to someone who is weary, to someone who is burdened by darkness. It is seen in sitting silently in the company of someone who is grieving, who is grieving the effect of darkness in this world. Light is seen in reversing the effects of darkness, the corruption, the harm that comes upon the weak and vulnerable. Some of you are in positions to do that. You are at work not just to make an income, but to make a difference. And perhaps you are in a position where you have the ability to do so. Shine light in a dark world. It is by using our power to do that which is good and right in the eyes of God. When we see darkness, we are responsible. When we see darkness, we are responsible to not just sit back and just say, I guess that's just how it is. The Lordship of Christ extends there too. My friends, chiefly, light is seen in us speaking the hope and truth of the gospel to those who are lost in sin. It is us speaking the hope and truth of the gospel to those who were lost in sin. We bring and we speak light into the world so that the world may know the Lord of light, Jesus Christ. 
to announce the good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be made right with God. That's what God sent his son to do. That is his mission. And church, we've been invited to participate in that even at great cost to ourselves because our future in Christ is incredibly bright. Three quick points to ponder. Number one, which race are you running right now? Are you running away, running toward, running faithfully? There's a good chance, whoever you are in this room, you are sitting in one of these three categories. Which one are you? Here's the second question. How will your race end? How will your race end? Will you persist in running away further and further from God? Will you finally run towards God who has reached out to you by grace? Will you keep persevering in faithfulness to the end? How is your race going to end? That's something to consider. And thirdly, how will you bring the light of Christ and the gospel to a dark world this year? There is no straight answer because there are a hundred and at least 50 people in this room as I calculate the seats. And with 150 people in the room, there are at least a thousand ways that light can be expressed in this dark world today. Let me encourage you to ponder deeply about how the light of Christ continues to shape your heart. Hannah, you've been called, you and I have been called to bear witness to the light in this dark world. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for familiar passages that continue to speak profound truths into our hearts. Our Lord and God, we pray that all of us would leave this hall today restless, uh, restless because we need to do business with you, or restless because we are renewed with a deep sense of purpose. Father, help us as we continue to rest in you, help us to continue to be challenged about whose we are and who we are. Help us to continue to draw strength and energy and hope and grace from you. Help us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.